When you buy Bitcoin, Bitcoin is like a favorite among organized crime, right? You have, you could have literally bought Bitcoin that was mined in Mexico by a drug cartel, and they used that money they just got from you to buy some weapons that are going to go kill people. So you just paid for somebody's murder. And it's, I mean, that's really kind of dark, but it's the reality is you just don't know what's going on with it. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you build financial independence through real estate investing. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Sam Sells. Sam is a successful real estate investor who created financial independence through his real estate investing. Today, we're digging through his journey, getting started with those first couple of deals before the Great Recession, how those deals went, tough lessons that he learned along the way. And then he went back and he focused on his career, making that active income. Eventually, he made his way back to real estate investing, really committed himself to building his real estate investing business, ultimately achieving financial independence and freedom through his real estate investments to today, now focusing on impact investing, building communities in his real estate investments. And we're digging through that whole journey today, how he achieved financial independence, the mistakes that he made along the way good moves that he made along the way, how he committed himself to the process, and then to today, how he focuses on improving communities and ways in which he looks to make an impact, a positive impact on those communities where he invests. Great lessons in this one. Very inspiring story. I know you're going to learn a lot. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. And to date, I have acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping Wall Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Sam Sells. We're digging through his journey of building financial independence through real estate investing to now how he focuses on impact in the communities and properties where he invests. Without any further ado, here we go. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation with you so far. I'm excited to get some of our conversation recorded here and learn more about your story. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do and what you invest in, then we'll go through your story of attaining financial independence through real estate. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Sam Sells. I started Wild Mountain Capital or Wild Mountain Holdings with my, my dad a little over four years ago now. Been doing single family homes since the early 2000s, made it through the crash then. And then I, I know in our conversation, we talked a lot about the crash and the upcoming or what's going on right now in the market. But We're really focused on making a difference through real estate investment. We look for and acquire distressed properties that have been neglected by their owners, whether those owners intentionally just neglected the properties, which we find those New York owners never came down and and touched the property kind of thing, or local folks who bought an apartment complex and you know, they didn't, they weren't well capitalized. And so they could be the, the best of people, but if you don't have the money, you just can't do the work. And slowly the the properties deteriorate over time. And so we, we like to buy those properties and, you know, make a 
a major difference there and, and improve the the community and the process, improve the property and just really create safe, clean places for people to live. I love that. I love that. So now I'd like to rewind the clock and learn about your your early years investing in real estate on the side as a, a busy professional and ultimately a dad juggling those things before you got yourself to financial independence. Let's let's get back to it. Yeah. Starting in single family, school doesn't teach you anything about real estate, right? And, true. and so the only thing you learn about is single family homes, if if at all. You read Rich Dad Poor Dad, you you read one of these other, The Millionaire Next Door, some some book like that. And it starts tugging at you that you can actually make money. Maybe you, in real estate, maybe you saw your parents, maybe they own rental property. But for the vast majority of folks, you look at apartment communities, strip centers, storage, all these things, you just see them and never registers in their in your mind that you can actually buy that stuff. And then if you, if you think you can, where do you go to learn how? And now, fortunately, there's quite a few people producing educational programs. Most of those are super expensive, but there's more and more education going out there. It's even colleges now teaching about real estate. It's like, this is the number one wealth producer in the world or one of the, one of the biggest wealth producers in the world. Why in the world are we not teaching this in schools? And so, you know, I did like everybody else does. You, you read books. Now you can watch YouTube. And, you know, I had started having some favorites and people who weren't doing smoke and mirrors, but were teaching the principles. And I, I love seeing stuff like Phil Pusiowski does this like worst decisions ever in real estate that he's seen. And of course, it's like, I've never made any of these decisions, but, you know, these other guys and, but, you know, all that stuff is good to read. I like understanding where people go wrong so that I know what to avoid. And, and so I, I teach a course and we, we talk a lot about, you know, how, how do you do things right? And then how do you do it wrong? So you know, you know where to turn left. So, so you started with single families, you were a healthcare administrator. I don't know if that's what you were doing when you first, when you bought that first deal, but tell us about that, that first deal and the, the process that brought you to it, why you bought it, what you were thinking, you know, the goals, everything around it. Yeah. And so I was actually enlisted firefighter in the Air Force many moons ago, a different lifetime. You know, I've been doing construction. I'd, I'd read the books, really wanted to get into real estate. We had every other day off because we worked 24-hour shifts, you know. And so all this free time and, and I'd been working in construction for years before I joined the military. You know, I found a partner in, in the fire department and we started flipping homes. And I remember coming in and, and he was framing a wall and the studs were going sideways, not up and down. I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. I've never framed anything before. <laughs> I was like, well, the studs go up and down, you know, for, for starters. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, this is why we don't buy flipped houses, but you know, we don't need to get into that right now. Yeah. So anyhow, so I started working with him and I brought the construction expertise and he was really good with the money. And, you know, we did several together and then I started doing it on my own. And this was 2006, 2007. You can get debt mortgage super easy. It's like, buying a car. You walk in, you sign some forms. They ask you how much money you make. You're like, mm, I make $600,000 a year, you know? Oh, and it's like, if you say something like that, it's perjury, you know, you're fraud, but you don't think twice about it. And you're like, whatever, go. And because I just want this car. Back then it was like, I called the mortgage broker and I said, hey, I really want to buy an investment property. I'm a E3 in the Air Force. I make a solid 1500 bucks a month. And I want to buy a rental property in San Antonio as an investment property. And I have no money. And he's like, cool, I can make that work. And wow. yeah, he ended up buying two rental properties. 
that we flipped. I was able to work out where we closed. We got a little bit of money back. You used to be able to do that kind of thing. You can't do that now. And we bought two at the same time. And I literally, I made 1500 bucks a month. I had a brother-in-law partner who owned a construction company. He, had, he did the work, he did the sales and we split them. And that was the first time I was kind of like the owner operator role. And that was 2007. So the crash hit those two homes, both contracts broke apart. We were able to sell the first one again. It consummated. We made, you know, 40 grand off the first deal. Great. You know, cause I had $0 when I started. Now we split and 20 K and of course the next one, it didn't work. We turned that into a rental and then I held that rental for about 10 years. Nice. And that was about, that was sufficient to solve any desire I have to buy single family rental homes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So pushing forward past those those two properties, the one you know when you sold the one and then you held on to the other one, how did you continue to you know scale and and do deals, especially noting at, that at that time you were going through the Great Recession, everybody was saying don't invest in real estate. In hindsight, it turned out to be the best you know buying environment that we may ever see in our lifetimes. But don't need to get into that now. How did you keep growing and and building? Yeah, so I didn't build for a long time. What I what I did moving forward was I used the and I didn't understand this at the time, but I do now. There's the VA loan, veteran affair, and you can buy a one, two, three, or four unit because they're all considered single family or residential properties. So you could use a VA loan to buy a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex. Now those properties are way overpriced, but back then you could actually buy a fourplex and make money off the deal. I didn't do that. I couldn't get my wife to commit to live in a duplex or anything. She just wanted a house. So we would buy houses. I would fix them up and we would sell them in six months or a year, sometimes two years, and then go do it again. And we would roll that money over into the next deal or we were dumb and we'd spend it on you know, a car or something else like that. <laughs> and so, you know, never anything lavish, but you know, that Subaru still costs 20 grand and, and there goes your 20 grand, right? Your, your money's gone. And so it's like, we did that for years and years. And, and so I got into hospital administration. I got a master's degree in, in that and global health, and then spent about a decade traveling around helping to build or or leading the build on very rural, sometimes West Africa, Asia, Europe, Eastern Asia, Western Asia, different, you know, healthcare facilities, working and helping locals build sustainable systems. And I learned a few things besides just construction overseas is vastly different. But two was, you know, if you're going to build a sustainable system, you have to do so in a way where there's a profit motive or there's an incentive where people get paid. If you get paid and you're taken care of, then you're going to do, you can do stuff, right? That's why we have jobs. We have jobs because we want to get paid. And if it's a fulfilling job, there's something we're doing there that makes us feel good, right? But if there was no money, we're not going to do that no matter how good we feel because you have to put food on the table unless you're, you know, dad's going to give you a very small million dollar loan or something that you don't have to pay back. Then that's a little different. But for the rest of us, normal humans, you know, we, we've got to work. And we need to work. It's good for our health, mental health, and everything else. And so I, I took that, came, coming to the end of my military career, started looking at, well, how can we, we need to make a lot of money. I keep hearing about commercial real estate. Let me dive into that. 
And so dove into that, spent about six months preparing myself, learning everything I could on my off time, and then decided that we were going to buy a mobile home park because they were inexpensive and we, we were ready to do the construction. So my dad and I bought a mobile home park and then we bought another mobile home park. And I took a car that was paid off, refinanced it, used that cash and the other money I had saved up like 30 grand. And, and that's what we use mine. And, and he had about the same amount. And yeah, we bought two properties, one on a master lease, which is a fantastic tool. I've done that for other people. I've given properties to them on a master lease. It's great for me. It's great for them. And uh, yeah, in the end, you know, within six months, we were making about $10,000 in free and clear cash flow, And we had only invested a hundred grand total. And we thought, hmm, there's something here. <laughs> so about what time frame was that? So that was 2018, 2019. The one that we got a 10K a month out of, it took us about six months. It was a mobile home park with a bunch of park-owned homes out there that were ran down and we just went out there and fixed them all up and rented them out. Awesome. So how did you balance your you know, professional commitments with the, the, the need, the reality that going out and doing these deals takes time. You got to put the work in to find them and analyze them, get the money together, you know, put the business plan, all of that kind of a thing. How did you draw that balance or would you even describe it as a balance? How did you get it done? Yeah. Commercial real estate is a team sport. There are folks who are able to do it on their own. It's incredibly difficult and very, very slow. Really, it's all about team sport. And so we started, it was my dad and I, and he went full-time right off the bat or within three months. He was coming close to retirement anyways, but once we started making a little bit of money, he, he just went straight full-time and, um, and that was great. And then we hired my brother who now is a partner and runs all of our operations. And he, you know, it's, if you want somebody to work for free, you have to give them equity or they need to be your family, right? Yeah. Usually both. <laughs> in the beginning. And so like, that's how, how we did it. And that is the most difficult way to, I will say there's a lot easier ways. And, and I know, you know, that now Taylor, I mean, your syndications, we didn't know anything about syndications at that time. That's a much easier way to build a, a enormous net worth. It's also a great way to build passive income. You just got to do it right. Absolutely. So you, you partnered up, but on a, on a day to day, you know, hourly basis, you, you know, you've got a family when a, one of your kids ran yeah. in before we started recording into your office. I mean, what did that actually, you know, look like, you know, your, your actual, you know, 24 hours in a day, how are you splitting that up to, to get your, you know, particular commitments in the team handled? Yeah. Great question. So this is my day. I, I'm up at 5.30, 5, 5 or 5.30, and I start working on real estate. Well, first 30 minutes of the day, I always study uh, scriptures. I need to get my spiritual mind right. I need to clear my mind and build a good basis. And then from there, I go straight into work. And so I was very heavy on the computer, emails, whatever I can do early in the morning before anybody's awake. At that time, I was in Alaska, so you know, there's three hours behind everybody. And it was, I could start making phone calls at six o'clock in the morning and, and call banks and everything else. And so by the time I would leave for work at 
7 or 7.30, I'd already put in a couple hours in the day. And maybe I had breakfast with my family and left. Then during work, at that time, I was traveling back and forth to Korea. I was responsible for doing this $68 million rehab on a big hospital, 500-bit hospital. Huge project, long days, but, you know, flying on the airplane, I'd get the internet and I would just, you know, VPN it up and email, email, email and, and keep in contact. I was making phone calls from Korea to banks and closing deals and, and everything. And we, it was a madhouse. And when I get home from work, I at first did not do this very well till my wife about killed me. I come home and I just start working. And then I fixed that, came home, spent time with the family, kids and dinner and chasing, you know, my two-year-old around and then making fun of my teenagers and, and then going, you know, when all that was settled and kids are going down to bed, uh, then I would start my second shift for the day or third shift for the day and do another three or four hours. And so I just, I learned how to live off five hours of sleep at night and just kept going and, and finding partners who could help. And that was the only way, really. Wow. So the, the, the reality and the unglamorous part, especially of those earlier years of, of scaling your, your real estate investing business. So at what point were you able to, to hit that level of, you know, financial independence or real estate income or however, however you want to classify it, that you were able to become a full-time real estate investor? Yeah. So about a year and a half, I was able to walk, but I had a military retirement. So that made a big difference. And so the, uh, I still was able to get paid though. I didn't have to make much, you know, five grand a month from passive income plus my military retirement. And I was fine. And that was great. You know, that was great. And so I, a year and a half, I came out and we had purchased 10 properties in the first year. Once I learned about syndication and really partnerships and other things, and we were trying all sorts of different deals. And now we now we syndicate and we also do joint ventures with institutions. It's a completely different world, but it's really nice when somebody can come in and write a single $10 million check. Yeah, that helps. yeah absolutely. You know, confidence at closing is a lot better. Um, but, you know, there's strings attached to that check and just like there's strings attached to anything. Also, I don't have to worry about getting sued for fraud because somebody <laughs> got mad because the toilet broke and we didn't know that the toilet was going to break before we bought the deal, right? And so, you know, it's... It, there's so many different ways to be successful and and I've I've talked to people before and the way I view it there's really kind of five or six phases of success or different tracks you can go down to be really successful you can do it by yourself you can syndicate you can just be a capital raiser and that's all you ever do and be really successful at that you can be you can go down with institutions you can do a bifurcated model you can do fund fund models and those are basically all the the general ways that you people do commercial real estate. Now, within each one of those, there's a, a bazillion different variations, but you know, there's basic tracks you can go down and each one has a different lifestyle. Capital raising has a way better lifestyle than being an owner operator does. Owner operator makes more money and, yeah. you know, but you can still make 400 grand a year being a capital raiser. And that's plenty to buy anything you want, right? boils down to what you want to specialize in, how you want to grow and what you can really commit yourself to yeah. and commit yourself to those, you know, five hour, living on five hours worth of sleep. So now you're, you're doing these real estate deals, different, different types of deals, and you really focus a lot on making an impact on the communities where you're investing. We touched on this a little bit earlier on in the interview, but I'd like to dig into 
you know, the, the types of distress that you find in properties and, and, you know, just dig into how that business model really works to, you know, to obviously make a profit, but also, you know, improve the properties that you acquire. Yeah. So the best way to, to do, if you're going to do a heavy value add project is to go in eyes wide open, hire professionals to come in and do all your inspections. You really want to dig because if the property's older, there's a good chance all the pipes are rusted through and it's leaking, you know, sewage water someplace. If you don't see it, doesn't mean it's not there, right? It's, it's probably there. If it's a 1960s property, it's leaking somewhere. And, you know, so you need to go in and you need to have understanding. Good thing is, is you know, I, I'd worked in construction for years. We, we grew up poor. We, we were comfortable in those areas of town. We're comfortable with those properties. We're comfortable with the heavy work. The, the key, though, is your basis has to be really good because most budgets get blown out of the water. Now our budgets don't get blown out of the water because we, we pad them so much and we capitalize correctly from the beginning. In the beginning, we didn't. And of course, code blew everybody up, right? It, if you had a $2 million budget and your expenses just went up by 30 or 40%, I'm, I'm sorry, I, you know, no matter how much you plan, you did not plan for a two by four to go from 385 to, you know, 850 a board and you need 7,000 of them, right? That mm -hmm. kills your budget. And fortunately, COVID time, everybody understood. Now that it's getting removed from COVID, you know, people who still feel those effects don't necessarily, well, you can't blame it on COVID. And you're like, well, that's, I'm not blaming it. That's just the reality. <laughs> you know, this was bought before all that happened and then that happened. And so it's like, you know, but if you're well capitalized, uh, then it's okay. You can deal with those changes and it's not going to hurt your investors. It's not going to hurt the project. And so we really learned that, you know, coming in well capitalized, coming in with a great lender and coming in at a great basis, you can be very successful at that game. If you come in and you're just a dude who's like, oh, I can do that for 50 bucks, right? And it's like, you could, but it'll break and then you'll pay for it again. And it's going to be a disaster, right? So, so don't do that, right? Stop and ask for directions, suck up your man, your man pride and make sure you're, 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 very, very detailed. We know every single thing that needs to be fixed in every single unit. And we get up in the attics and we scope all the lines and we look at all these things. And you're surprised. We found an apartment complex in Dallas, Fort Worth. We got up in the attic and it has no insulation. Whoa. How does this property for 30 years old not have insulation? The No wonder why utility bill is bonkers, right? Burning out heat pumps all the time. Yeah. And the current owner is a syndicator, right? So it's like, you guys didn't go up in the attic? I mean, that would be a easy, you spend 150 grand and you just, for, for one, all your residents will be way happier because they boiled in the 110 degree heat. When your air conditioner stopped running, their bills are going to go down, your bills are going to go down and they can pay more for rent now, right? Because they're not spending $200 on their, a month in electricity for their apartment. It, it's a, so, yeah. So I wonder, you mentioned earlier on you, you, different reasons why folks would kind of let their properties get into these bad conditions, whether they're, you know, a New York buyer who doesn't really care or somebody that kind of got in over their head, weren't really well capitalized, didn't know what they were getting into. How much does having that knowledge factor into your approach to a given that you're analyzing this this type of a seller makes this type of a mistake whereas you know the other type of a seller makes a different mistake or is it kind of not that big of a, a factor on the business business decisions that 
you're going to make. Yeah, it's to me, it's all the difference now between whether a property is going to succeed or not succeed. You can have the best business plan. And if the lender won't give you access to your draw facility, to your capital improvement funds, because they just make it onerous or super difficult, your, your deal could fail, right? You could have great business plan, all the money in reserves, and the, the lender will screw up the whole thing for you. And that's painful, right? So we... Because we have learned through hard experience, we've done 20 something deals now. We have learned and we are very aggressive in our construction work and the stuff that we do. We go as fast as we as, as humanly possible because the faster you go, the more accurate your predictions are, the longer the deal draws out. They're holding costs, construction costs going up, the worse off your predictions get. Because we maybe we can see a little bit in the future, like, you know, I suspect that tomorrow this is kind of what my day is going to look like, right? You know, two weeks from now, I don't know what I'm going to do on Saturday, right? <laughs> but tomorrow, I think I can kind of get it. So, like, as things are closer, then we are in, you know, a better, better position. And so, we front load as, as much as possible. We've learned that. And then, you know, we've learned that, you know... Uh, what I, we do things that nobody else does. We go to the city council, we get their support. We go to others and, and get what we need to, you know, charities and everything else that, uh, that help take care of residents and keep our profits looking great, you know, and it's good for the residents. It's good for us. It's good for our investors. And so there's, there's things, tricks of the trade that we've learned from doing this for a while that new folks just don't know and they'll learn it eventually, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> While you're out there spreading the message and you were telling me before we started recording how, you know, you're, you're, we hear to hurt a child, which is, you know, fine. No problem. We understand how important to you this, this lifestyle is and, and being able to be with your kids and, you know, be at home when you want to, or travel when you want to, how important that is. And I think, um, certainly many of our, our listeners here can relate so before we dive to three questions, I ask every guest on the show for our investors, or excuse me, for our listeners out there who want to make sure their investments are having a positive impact on the properties that they're investing in. What are you know a couple of key factors that they could look for or consider to make sure you know they're they're having that positive impact? Yeah, so I like to talk about clean money. When you eat clean, you know what you're eating, right? You know it's a vegetable, you know how it affects your body. Clean energy, you know pretty much what it's solar power. You don't pay attention to the fact that that was made in China from child laborers. You just pretend you don't know that. And then, but it's solar, it's it's clean, right? And and so like when we, we talk about clean money, I'm talking about you know where that money goes and it makes a difference. It doesn't mean it's not going to make a return. It's not a charity. And so when you invest in syndications, you can get a pretty good idea what your money is being used for, right? A really good idea. When you buy stocks, you have you don't know if that just went to go buy a, a broker's new Ferrari and then the stock collapses tomorrow. And well, he still has his Ferrari, but you don't have any money. When you buy Bitcoin, Bitcoin is like a favorite among organized crime, right? You have, you could have literally bought Bitcoin that was mined in Mexico by a drug cartel and they use that money they just got from you to buy some weapons that are going to go kill people. So you just paid for somebody's murder. And it's, I mean, that's really kind of dark, but it's the reality is you just don't know what's going on with it, right? When you go to McDonald's, you have no idea what's in that food right? and you're just taking it in your body and you're like, I don't care, right? 
you buy Bitcoin and you're saying, I don't care where this came from. I just want a return. And so what I'm saying is there's a different way to do it. You can invest in a way that's clean and it makes a difference. So you're looking for investments that you, that align with your values. If you want to invest in a company that's going to do their best to help build a community and change lives and make a difference, you can invest with us. Wonderful. We'd love to have you. If you want to do something that's similar, but not as risky, maybe you look for somebody who's doing class B assets because they're still making a difference and changing. If you want something that's a lot more stable, you're going to look at a class A asset. Your return is going to be lower, but it's providing really beautiful apartments to people who can't afford homes or don't want to afford homes. And so they're going to stay in a really luxury apartment. Luxury meaning it, the walls are painted gray and it has a nice carpet, right? So it's like, you know, the we can invest in a way that aligns with our core values. To me, that's clean money. That's how we invest. And so that's when, when you say that, that's what I think of. Pay attention and do something good with your money. Nice. Think about clean money. Great. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Sam, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Ready. Give them to me. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment was certainly finding a wonderful lady to marry me and put up with all my crazy work <laughs> hours and work habits for sure. <laughs> nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Worst investment ever made. I allowed a to talk me into investing in a deal after I had walked the property and seen cracks in all the walls, exterior walls, I'm like, this place has a terrible foundation issue. This person was so fixated on the location was fantastic and everything else. And we put $250,000 down in hard earnest money only to find that when we got this structural engineer out there, that when they poked underneath all the, it was on pier and beam, it was rotted all underneath the flooring on all these 20 something buildings. There were millions of dollars worth of work that needed to be done. And there was no way we could do it for that price. And of course the sellers were like, you know, we're not lowering the price. We're just going to keep your 200 something thousand dollars and go sell it to the next guy. And they weren't going to disclose it. And I'm sure they didn't disclose all that. And then it was, we walked away and we were able to get about 30 grand back of that 250K and the rest of it just, just went away. But I knew in my gut when I walked that property, I'm like, what? There's a problem here. There's a big problem here. And I should have just walked. But, you know, another syndicator bought it. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Tough lesson. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? In business and investing, I've learned 
it's really all about the people. It's about the people on your team. It's about the people you're working with. It's not about the dollars. The dollars follow. It's about the people. It's about the people that I don't make money, right? My residents pay for a nice, clean, safe place to live. That's where the values. People say you make money on your buy, you make money on your sell. Yes, you can't. Yeah, I, I get that. But the reality is, at the end of the day, it's all about our customers and our customers are our residents. And if we take care of our residents, then everything else takes care of itself. Or you can solve everything else because the property's generating revenue, it's generating NOI. If you, if you do that, then, then you're good. If you lose sight of that, and it's all about the acquisition, it's all about the acquisition fees, it's all about the churn, you lose sight of, of you know, the value of people. And then you're just as bad as any other New York banker, right? You don't care about people. You just want that return so you can buy your Lamborghini and your Coke. Well said. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today, teaching us about your story going from working hard on your uh, on your day job, working hard on your employment to now working hard on your own real estate investing business. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, feel free to check us out on wildmountaincapital.com. I'll spell that out, wildmountaincapital.com. You can find me on Instagram, Clean Money Sam, LinkedIn, Twitter, Sam Sells. Or sell Sam, I think is where I'm at on Twitter. You know, send us an email, info at Wild Mountain Capital. I'll see that and I respond. You know, we we love talking to people. People are the most important thing and and uh, we try our best to take care of others in any way we possibly can. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping Wall Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.